The Unconventional Therapist's Guide to Nothing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Dave, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Greg. He is so lovely. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It makes sense that you're in a good mood again, Dave, because you've taken me on a journey. You've given me an assignment. Yeah. Yeah. And quite the assignment. It's, it was quite the assignment. And I don't know how I feel. I, you know, it's like something that you have to do, I guess. That's how I was explaining it to myself. I was like, this is, in a sense, high art. And every, it's one of those things that everyone should experience. And yeah. what we're talking about here is the Universal Monsters. Greg, and, I am, I'm going to be dead honest with you. The assignment I gave you, there is no way in my mind that I thought you were actually going to do it. Look, Dave, I take this seriously. And what we've come to realize as... You know, I think that your master plan behind this episode is that these universal monsters have universal issues. Yes. Wow. Isn't, that, isn't that what we're talking about nice. here? Nice. You got it in there. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, I was very proud of that line. And I and I knew I'd have to shoehorn it into this episode at some yeah. point. So every now and then you get an idea in your head, right? And then yeah. like you think it's unique. And then you find out, well, hey, other people also have a similar idea. And I had that happen with this specific topic. So a few years ago, I started to think about some kind of framework for using the universal monsters as representations of mental health issues. And I was like, oh, this is onto something. And like, you know, it started with like looking at Frankenstein, looking at Dracula. And then I kind of went through the list. And I was like, they all kind of represent something. And I'm really going to put that to the test today because, as you mentioned, I gave you the assignment to dig into these, and you decided to watch each of the films of these main Universal Monsters, not all the Universal Monster movies, because there is Mm. way too many for that. Um, But you watched the, what is it, five main ones? Yeah. Five? And you know what I'm going to call them? I'm going to call them the first and the worst. Because they were like the first of their kind. So I, I don't even know if this was actually the first Dracula movie. I don't know if that Nosferatu counts. It, it 100% counts. Okay, so is this the first one? No, the no- okay. Nosferatu one was definitely prior to this. Okay, well, Dracula... The Nosferatu the, one you know, was was is so old that it's a, it's a silent film. Have you seen Nosferatu? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a silent film. And do you recommend it? Not to you. Okay. <laughs> It's one of those ones where it looks so choppy and there's like words come up and they like it looks it's it's so old that it actually just the fact that it's old makes it look creepy. Um, And but like the Nosferatu itself is super cool looking. It's an experience. You should check it out. But that's what I'm going to say. Like these are an experience. And I and I almost think that we everyone should just kind of grab a look at it. It's it's. um boy times have changed as far as like movie making though yeah but you got to understand like that's what makes this so cool these are i know these are films from the 30s right and they have you know these monsters and all these themes and like i just i think that that's so cool that even in the 30s people were into this stuff and this was genuinely terrifying i know that's what i thought was so interesting like even during Frankenstein, like the precursor, they they did this like trigger warning where it was like, "Listen, you guys better be ready for this. This is going to be crazy." And then strap it, strap on your seatbelts, folks. Yeah, and then it just wasn't. No, you know what I mean. It just no, wasn't crazy. No. So, right. Dave, this is fun, but where do you want to start? Yeah. So let me just give a quick little recap of like what this when I we say Universal Monsters, what does that even mean? Mm. All right. So Universal. Studios, Universal Films, uh, has done a number of monster movies. We typically think of a handful of them when we're thinking of who the Universal Monsters are. So we have Dracula, we have Frankenstein, we have the Mummy, we have the Wolfman, the Invisible Man, uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I think that's the main ones that we typically go with. Uh, or at least that's the ones we're going to cover today, because I think those are kind of like the notable characters. Um, even like till till recently, I didn't even really consider the Invisible Man to be in that grouping, but he definitely is. And you know, anytime you see like a box set or something like that, you'll often see the Invisible Man in there. 
But these aren't actually the first Universal Monster movies. Greg, do you know what the f- one of the first? I think it's the first. I, just please don't quote me on this. Like, I think it's the first Universal Monster movie. Do you know what it is? No, I have no idea. We mentioned it last uh, last week. Wolfman? Weeks ago. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Really? Yeah. The 1913 film was the first Universal Monster movie, I believe. Wow. Uh, followed, followed by Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay which is starring Lon Chaney in 1923. That name probably means nothing to you, but I will explain. Actually, it does it. Um, he is connected to the Wolfman, right? So that is Lon Chaney Jr. is the Wolfman, and he also is in a ton of these Universal okay. Monster movies. Yeah, I was um, seeing names like Boris Karloff. And, they're it's, they're yeah. repeated over and over. Boris Karloff. Bela uh, Lugosi. Bela Lugosi. They're in like so many of these, which is so cool that they just use the same characters. Yeah. Um, and Phantom of the Opera, 1925, also starring Lon Chaney. So those are some of the original ones. But to get to what we were going to talk about for today, we're like we said, we're going to just go with like the main ones and not the sequels. And there's also a bunch of like offshoot ones. Like there's Bride of Frankenstein, um, a few others that were just kind of not going to focus on today although bride is very cool but you didn't watch bride so we can't talk no. about it. <laughs> all right so the first one we're going to talk to greg we're going to talk about i should say is dracula yes which is a 1931 film by todd browning starring the one and only bella lugosi it has spawned the sequels dracula's daughter in 1936 son of dracula in 1943 and house of dracula in 1945 so it just moves so quick through the movie, though. That's like something that's interesting to me because okay. I, you know, I I give I love Dracula personally. I think that Blair Witch and and all these found footage movies owe a debt of gratitude to Dracula because it's kind of like the first found footage. You know, if the book's just a series of picked up journals and letters and all that, so it's like kind of interesting that way. But in those in the book, you have so much more exposition, so much more detail. And you almost have had to have read it to understand the story, I think. Does that make sense? To understand this film? Yeah. You would have had to read the book? I think so. You don't think it could have stood alone? I think I think it probably, it was enjoyable without it, but it's like, you don't even know why that guy was going to visit Dracula. He's just going to visit Dracula. You don't, you don't have any of understanding like why Dracula is dangerous, but maybe that's cool. You kind of have to like discern that on your own. And then like all, like even if like the, what is it? 1992 Keanu Reeves one, he was in the castle for a long time and a lot of things happened in this one. He was in the castle. Then next thing you know, Dracula's on a ship. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty quick. What do you think of Bela Gosi as Dracula? I think he's Hungarian and stunningly handsome as most of us are. Um, beautiful. eye gaze. I, I like him. And I, and, 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 you know, in the eighties, I was the I was Dracula back to back three times, and that widow's peak sort of pushed back hair was I mean that was where it was at. So yeah, this is when I think of Dracula, it's kind of what I think of, and also the score is very familiar, and I don't know why, like the music in it, it's familiar. Probably have, it's probably been reused, Use yeah. or you know what? Like as a kid, I don't know if you had this experience, but like I used to watch a lot of things that had clips of movies so i had you had this thing uh vincent price's creepy classics that i would watch on repeat i had the vhs and it had clips from all classic horror films a bunch of stuff with vincent price in it but also like some of the universal monster stuff so i'd always seen like hands no (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that was made yet when i was watching this uh but yeah it, it would have like clips from different things and um one of my favorite quotes is when he goes listen to them children of the night it's just kind of great it's so great it's sort of it's interesting that you bring up his eyes because if we're going to start getting to the psychological bend of things it's here's the first element and it's hypnosis right he's kind of able to kind of grab your attention with his eyes which which is interesting to me so i know greg like you're you were tasked with watching the films and coming up with your kind of ideas of how these characters connect to psychology or mental health themes. So let me start off by just asking you, what did you come up with for this? So it's interesting because obviously I almost think it's obvious that we're, I'm supposed to be baited into coming into like some kind of like narcissistic, you know, personality disorder or something like that. Right. But I was thinking to myself, 
two there's two things with Dracula specifically, I think he's different than the rest of them. The rest of them are sort of like fall kind of neatly into diagnosis. But this one, it's like a narcissistic narcissistic person or a personality disorder is based on the assumption that he is, you know, he's putting people down to elevate himself or, or, or like he has this intense sense of, you know, like he's, you know, better than most of us. Right. But what if he's this, he's this supernatural being and like, he kind of is better than us. Right. In a sense. So it's like, he's got this bloated uh, ego, but it's kind of appropriate in a sense. Sure. So one of the things I'll have, I'll kind of like have you think about though, is Think about how he puts people down. He puts people down by literally sucking their bl- their blood and to revitalize himself, right? Mm, very interesting. So in a way, it is like he he is better than people because he's sucking their blood, which could be like a variation of like putting people down, making people below him or making like... So the whole premise of becoming a vampire. Why is it, why is it a learning to become a vampire? Immortality. Immortality. You live forever. You don't age. You stay beautiful. As long as you do what you have to use others. Yeah. You have to use others. And you know, it's interesting that you say that is the other side of Dracula that I'm thinking about right now is if you live long enough, like, do you just become evil? Is that like, you just become jaded. Like, or do you become supremely good or supremely bad? Like if thinking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, if you take someone and they live long enough, do they become, especially if you don't, you're not susceptible and we'll see this with other things. You're not susceptible like in Dorian Gray to your, the actions that you're taking, you're hurting other people, but that's not damaging yourself at all. So over time, you just kind of lose this respect for human life and you become evil. And I think if you live long enough and you can't die, there is this weird connection with evil, turning evil. So so in in my kind of thought process around this, take away like that with that theme that you're describing, instead of becoming evil, you become alone in real life. So when we when we use people, when we strive for like vanity and our to like boost our ego and we just keep people below us, we have superficial relationships. I think of like Dracula's ladies. Like yeah. they're superficial though. It's it's surface level relationships. He does nobody's close with him. He's alone in his castle, alone. But he's like, he thinks he's you know, the, he's like, like a version of God, right? Like, you know, he's, he's created his own version of God as himself. So, but he's, he's all alone too. So he has no one to enjoy it with. And like, think about how narcissistic people kind of exist in this world. Like they, they create this bubble of this self view that they have for themselves and they push people away because of that, or people stand kind of like standoffish away from them and they end up alone. They feel alone. You do end up alone. Don't you? So that vanity, ego, narcissism, I feel like that is this version of vampires. Like, obviously, we've seen other versions, and I don't want to, like, dissect other sources too much because this is more about, like, the Universal Monsters theme. But, like, he ultimately is alone. So it's, like, everything that he's, you know, he can have all the immortality he wants. He can have all, like, the good looks, the all the powers, but he lives alone. It's almost like, you know, people who have to behave this way to uh, amass wealth and they have to step on so many people on the way up. And then when they get there, they're not happy because they're alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And even think about how he has to get women. He has to seduce them with his like hypnotic eyes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not even like that he has these qualities that just naturally allow people to attract to him. He has, these superpowers that force people to be attracted to him by tricking them deceit deceit and if you think about narcissism narcissism and like grandiosity like like our self a grandiose self-view it's like self-deceit right absolutely because it's not the real version of ourselves it's this inflated idea of who we are that that we're do we try to utilize to suck people in because dracula is actually really sad yeah He's a sad narcissist. He is a sad guy. (laughs) Sad boy.
All right. Well, I think that's, I mean, wow. Good job with that one, Dave. What, what do you want to handle next? All right. Well, no, no. Let me just ask you a question. Did you like Dracula? I didn't want to have to sell you this to the end. Um, oh, 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 all right. Well, you want to do it at the end? All right. I'll hold off. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I don't want no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> okay. So the next one, and this is an easy one because we've kind of already covered this in a way. Uh, but the next one would be Frankenstein, also 1931. This is directed by James Whale and stars the one and only Boris Karloff. Yes. <laughs> so some sequels that are spawned by this film are Bride of Frankenstein, obviously, that was in 1935, Son of Frankenstein in 1939, Ghost of Frankenstein in 1942, Fran- Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, House of Frankenstein in 1944, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein in 1948. Greg, I can proudly say I saw all those except for the Abbott and Costello one. Oh, you missed the best one, probably. And oh, I think that the list goes on and on, right? Because the Frankenstein's reincarnations go all the way to oh, modern. Of course. Yeah. So these are just like the universal monster okay. world. Oh, those are all universal, movies. huh? Yes. These are all ones within the mon- the universal monster world. And, and you're right. You're right. Like we did cover this before, but I think that just looking at it through the lens of mental sure. health, trying to get like, you know, philosophical like we did last time, which was a real, a, a lot of fun with this. But for me, what I took away from this one is now this is where I was seeing like narcissism, you know, so like Frankenstein literally said, and it's Henry Frankenstein, which I was throwing me off. I always thought it was Victor Frankenstein in the book. It's Victor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he literally says like four times that he's created man in his own image. Now, if that's not a grandiose statement, I mean, cause it's, it's, Oh yeah. So looking at the creator, so that's Frank, what I'm gonna, so, so Dr. yeah, Frankenstein himself. Yeah. Dr. Frankenstein himself has these grandiose delusions. Like he's got Absolutely. this really supreme personal superiority. His father is a baron, super overconfident. He's definitely willing to exploit others for self-gain. If you just look at his buddy Fritz, who I always thought was Igor, but apparently his name's Fritz in this. But if challenged, he becomes hostile and aggressive. So this is like really typical narcissistic. I think he becomes Igor in one of the sequels, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Igor comes at some point, and I'm trying to remember which uh, some listener is going to like. I might have looked it up. I think it was Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, I want to say it was Bride of Frankenstein or or Son of Frankenstein. But yeah, there's definitely an Igor at some point. So, (laughs) and he's a, he's such a jerk, huh? He's so mean. He pokes and prods at at the monster, but it's like, it's so funny because what's happening, and this is so cool that they captured this, it's that whole hierarchy effect where Dr. Frank, like, absolutely, quote unquote, typical people are up here. And like Fritz is kind of like this, like, um, misfit yeah. type, like that clearly, you know, would kind of be like an outlier in society. Renfield. And, uh, yeah, he's totally a Renfield. And then, so then he sees the, the, the monster. And he know he feels like he's above him, so he starts to poke at him. It's such a such a human concept to kind of divide and conquer, like elevate one person over another. And now they're not worried. They're not worried about taking out Doctor Frankenstein. Now they're just dealing with each other. So to me, like throughout this whole thing of just the Doctor himself, he's got these grandiose delusions. Um, obviously, he, he thinks he's godlike. He believes he's got this huge position in society. Um, he thinks he's so intelligent, which he, I guess he kind of is, but what's he really doing here besides just mishmash sewing together a bunch of body parts yeah. and it doesn't seem very professional, does it? No, you know, and you know, what's funny, like they clearly liked this type of character. So again, we're looking at like a Dr. Jekyll. Yes. And also we'll get to this later, but we're looking at an invisible man type character. Absolutely. So they really loved like this idea like Universal Monsters, clearly, they when they were creating these films, they were clearly worried about where science was going to take us. Like that was obviously a reflection of the time, and then the time it must there must have been like a significant fear of what science will bring. Like we're good where we're at. It almost feels like that way right now with like AI. It's like we're good where we're at. Like, yeah, have to keep yeah. pushing. So we're going to see more of that in pop culture too. Anti-social behavior from Dr. Frankenstein, obviously grave robbing and sewing together pieces of a human body is like not sort of normal. I just thought he was excited. He had an idea. Well, would you say excited or would you say completely manic? The part when (laughs) 
the part when he brings his friends to see what he's done, that he's like, he's first he's like very hostile with them, but then he, when he's showing them what he has on the table, he's completely manic. He's like telling everyone yeah. to sit down, be quiet, don't talk to me. Like I'm working here. What's it's, the brain? What's the brain labeled that they end up using? Is it abnormal, or am I thinking of the other the? Or is that Young Frankenstein where it's That's like abnormal or something? Yeah, but yeah. This, even in this one, there's like, a, a, I, and I didn't watch it this year. I watched it last year. So it's a little foggy to me. But I know I, that there's what, a... It said, it might have said like criminal brain. I think that's what it said. I think it said criminal brain. Yes, it was criminal brain. I love that. Criminal brain. Yeah. <laughs> and the Fritz grabs it like, you know, because that's the scene where, you know, they're, they're Fritz is spying because he's going to, he needs a brain to finish the job. Yeah. And there's two, there's a great, fantastic brain that's just perfect. And then there's this criminal brain right next to it. And of course he grabs. And why damn, would you, why yeah. would you send Fritz to do that? Work? I know. To on. grab the, of all people, I mean, grab, send Fritz to grab the feet and you go grab the brain. Yeah. No? Yeah, it, exactly. Have Fritz do all your heavy lifting, not grabbing the, the most important thing in this experiment. So what do you think about the doctor? I, I agree with everything you just said. I actually hadn't really... Um, put too much thought into analyzing the doctor, but everything you said sounds accurate. Uh, there's, but you know, there's this part of him that when it happens, when he creates the monster, obviously there's immediate regret. Yes. Right. It, and like shock and disgust, but he doesn't stop there. So he doesn't learn from his mistakes. So, and then, you know, we'll see that obviously in Bride of Frankenstein as well. Um, so not a great character, not a great character, but so, I mean, I guess this leads us into the monster itself. Is yeah. is that what we call it? The monster? Frankenstein's the monster. Frankenstein's okay. monster. But right. obviously everybody kind of knows him as Frankenstein these days. Which is strange. So he's got that damaged prefrontal area and that's obviously going to create some aggression. But I mean, do you want to take it, take away your thoughts with here? And then I can Yeah, talk. like I said, um, and I, my thoughts are going to be rather uh, redundant to our last conversation. Like to me, he definitely represents that idea of abandonment and the issues that come out with abandonment. And, you know, I think that you probably made notes of this uh, regarding the reactive attachment. And I think that's the exact conversation we had. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about reactive attachment? That's I'm almost so, positive we did. That's yes. so funny because like I wrote that down and I was like, Dave's never going to believe this. I, I I thought this was like a novel idea, like, because it's so true. He's, it makes you think of Beth Thomas, how she was, yeah. you know, abused and she had no idea the difference between right or wrong. She's like stabbing her little brother and everything like that. So this reactive attachment disorder or this, uh, not, this nature versus nurture sort of abomination leads him to kill a little girl accidentally. And just because he doesn't know, you can't throw little human beings into water. And, and you know, that's such a highlight of what happens when we're not taught the important lessons in childhood, right? So yeah. that lack of nurture, I don't know how hard to squeeze someone. I, yeah. I mean, he basically t treats her like he's Lenny and she's the, the mouse and of mice and men, right? Like, uh, Absolutely. It, so it, that does that suggest a little bit of like, intellectual deficits as well because he's really n doesn't have it together at all especially like speech and you know but, and they don't do this in this version but in obviously in the novel he becomes more intelligent right yes, but in this not in this version they stick with he's just a monster right grunting which makes it easier i think as for a story for a horror film like this to just make it like I think it would have been a really hard sell in 1931 for them to have a monster with redeeming qualities. Yeah, so yeah. like, I guess they made it so you would probably want to see the monster like defeated in the end or whatever, but he is a sympathetic character. He sort of is. And what is the deal with him being upon waking? Like he has a trauma reaction to fire. Like, what is that about? So I didn't really understand that. Is that something like, is fire, fire sort of represents civilized, the civilized world oftentimes in like literature and stuff, because that's when we became more civilized when we were able to yeah. harness fire. And maybe he is, has this aversion to the civilized world. I don't know. But what's, what is scary is he dies from his worst fear, which is fire. He dies. Right. So that's, that's sad. Yeah. I, I kind of wondered if it was like, he just didn't understand what fire yeah. was it's like it's bright it's in my face it's hot 
That's but true. he, but it's like instant fear of it before you can even like, right? Yeah, it was strange. Yeah, and then the other, the only thing, other thing I'll say about this stuff, like the little girl, that was like kind of like harsh. It's kind of dark for. That's a very dark scene. Yeah, it's pretty intense for a 1931 horror film. Horror <laughs> film that is a dark, dark scene. Yes, it was. So, where do you want to head from here? 1932. Okay. The Mummy, starring. Oh. Boris Karloff. Yes. I love the, I love the mummy, by the way. I know I'm just going to put that out there. I do love this. I didn't, uh, at first it didn't connect with me as much, but I watched it again a little bit later. And I, this became one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, what you were thinking as far as, so the mummies, if you want to run us through it a little bit. Yeah. So let me do that, please. Well, first I'll just say there's a, like, I mentioned all the sequels in the previous ones. This one's no different. The Mummy's Hand in 1940, The Mummy's Tomb in 1942, The Mummy's Ghost in 1944, The Mummy's Curse in 1944 as well. Those all had Lon Chaney Jr., not Boris Karloff in them. And they actually had like him wrapped in like the bandages versus this, The Mummy, which people probably assume he's wrapped in bandages, but he's only that's only for like one scene. It's an it's iconic like, scene, but like, it's only one scene. It's almost like a Mandela effect in a sense where it's it's you like think I you saw it. Yeah, you think you you think he's gonna well, be Do you want to know why? On most of like the cover art you'll see for the mummy, it's that one scene of him wrapped in bandages and he's got like one eye open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously this is audio, so people wouldn't be able to see it or I'd show the picture right now. Well, you just uh, did do a little one eye thing. I did. I, I did. I have the VHS cover right behind me, so I was going to grab it, but that would be pointless. Uh, and then the last uh, sequel for the Universal films was uh, Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy in 1955. So, oh, wow. They did all they, these. They met everybody. They met them all. So um, what do you, what, that's interesting. I just want to say one thing about, you know, you will know all these movies, but I just recently... Last Halloween, I watched Friday the 13th for the first time, and I didn't run into Jason. So it's kind of like the same thing, same weird effect where you wow. think. Wow. Wait, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Was that 1987? <laughs> 1979. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, 80, 81, I think. 81 or 83. So uh, anyways. What do you think about, do you, do you want me to run yeah. through my, my I, Well, I, ha I have a, a little rundown of this one that might kind of summarize for people to understand what, what this is all about. So. Okay. I am Hotep Mummy, that's the name of the person, so the mummy of this person, is brought to life after an ancient life-giving spell is read out loud. Um, he takes, when he comes to life, he takes the scroll of Troth, and he prowls the streets of Cairo, seeking to reincarnate the soul of his ancient lover, mm. a princess. Um, he finds a woman named Helen who resembles this ancient princess, and he attempts to kill her like you do, you know, when you find her. And he, because she strikes a resemblance to the princess and he wants to um, reincarnate her mummy once he captures her, he kills her, I guess, basically. He wants was, to it's, so it's almost like this, the first thing, and I know it's not where we're headed with this, but it's, it's worth a mention, like a paraphilic disorder, like necrophilia. Like you're trying to kill someone so that you can... Be, fall in love with them again and like you know what i mean i know there's gonna be like spells involved and everything like that but that's well, not he's technically he wants to, so it's like what would you call two reincarnated people i don't know man <laughs> don't know. that's interesting but yeah. that's not where I, I i landed as far as like a mental health disorder and this one i don't know maybe maybe you were in the same spot as me but i think it's ptsd hmm. and i'll tell you i'll tell you why hmm. because when we think of trauma or PTSD, we think of stuck points, being stuck in a certain spot, right? So he's he he's killed trying to resurrect his dead lover. Yeah. And so that that's where he's at. And even when he's resurrected, that's the point where he's stuck at. He's stuck in that. He can't see the future. He wants the past. He's he's can't see that like maybe someday I'll find someone who isn't her or doesn't look like her. So this traumatic thing that happened to him is where he's stuck at. And that's his trauma. Okay. What do you think? That's okay. pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, so the one that, and I think I had already kind of thrown out this idea to you, um, obsession, lust, and also idolization. Mm. So, you know, it's this idea that like, he's so stuck in his head that I am going to find my, re re my princess. I'm going to reincarnate her that like nothing's going to get in his way. 
Nothing's going to prevent him from doing it. He's actually going to kill. So I guess some stalking behavior almost. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like he's obsessed with this, with the idea of this woman. And it's actually to the point where his obsession doesn't even, is no longer even like authentic or genuine because he's actually able, he's like willing to take it to the point where he's killed this woman who is not her just based on like she resembles her. He's like, good yeah. enough. Good enough. So, which is so you're basically saying like to serve his own purpose, he'll he will take out somebody else, which is again basically being like, if we really wanted to, we could shoehorn pretty easily every single one of these monsters so far into like a narcissistic. Yeah, he definitely had some sense of that. I just didn't want to use it again because we didn't undress. Yeah, I know. What about but, grief? What about grief? So grief, yes, actually, that could 100 percent fit into this. Yeah. Good and grief. <laughs> so the thing with like the, the obsession piece is like it's again and you know you this is your your thing like with the self-deceit it's he's like telling himself that like for him like i said it's like he finds this woman who just resembles her and he's like that's fine it's like it it's he the idolization it's like it's not even about the princess anymore it's just about his drive to to do this and it like doesn't even matter about who the princess is and there was it, a category of stalkers you're right to think about that where it was like that where it's like all right well she does she may not want me now but once i set this whole thing up and yeah. you know kill her and resurrect her and make her a princess she's gonna love it right right so it's like i think it's like erotomanic or something yeah but it, like it, it's it, it's very strange yeah there's a ton of things going on with this one um but yeah i just i just really felt like his obsession was to the point where it was like it no longer mattered it it wasn't about the princess it was about his drive yeah that whole thing was actually became like a you know just a side and the the actual obsession was just about his drive to complete this mission that he had in his head yeah it's interesting it's like the um 50 shades of gray or like there's this new movie or a show that someone was talking about it's called 365 where it's like like they're almost these abusive stalking type, even this show you. Yeah. Right. Which I accidentally call Joe all the time, but they, they're this idea that like once all right, I'm going to take this woman, I'm going to stalk this woman. And then after she lives with me for a little while, she's, she's going to like, she's going to love it. It's a weird thing. Yeah. So, yeah. It's convincing yourself of something and believing it is a mm-hmm. weird thing. It is, but it's, that's something on some level that is related to every angle of, of mental health you know yeah. so i think anyways all right well that's good what do you think uh i'm i'm feeling good about that one that one was um i think a little harder to decipher mm. it wasn't as straightforward as other ones interesting but. word decipher when we're talking about uh-huh. aeroglyphic rolls yeah <laughs> yeah spells <laughs> all right the next one brings us to 1933 and we are going to take a look at the invisible man which okay. is played by Claude Rains, who, if you ever listen to anything about Claude Rains, I heard he's was like a like horrendous to work with. Um, really, Claude. He was a very difficult person to work with. French, yeah. So some of the sequels for this: The Invisible Man Returns, which had Vincent Price; The Invisible Woman; uh, Invisible Man's Revenge; and guess what? Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Oh my God! Of for course. real. Yeah. So this is an honorable mention for me is H.G. Wells, you know, because I was a huge Time Machine fan and I wanted to be a Island of Dr. Moreau fan, but that movie just didn't work out. Oh, that's an infamous movie right there. That's an infamous one. Yes. Oh, no, I was thinking of the um, the later one, not the one that you're probably right. No, I'm thinking of the later one. Marlon Brando. Yeah, there is a previous one. There's that one's probably pretty version. good. Yeah. And then War of the Worlds, of course, as far as like H.G. Wells goes, but important important writer should be mentioned so and this this is obviously act like taken from his work so this is actually like whereas we said with dracula that's less about bram stoker this is taken from hg wells's work like mm-hmm. that is um i believe he actually had like some involvement not necessarily involvement but like was able to kind of see the film and whatever i don't know anyways so the invisible man uh just a quick overview Dr. Jack Griffin is secluded in a room. It opens up to him um, at the the Lion's Head Inn, where he's confronted by a policeman and some local villagers 
um, due to the in complaining and wanting him evicted because he created a mess in his room and was behind on some rent. What they discovered was Griffin covered in bandages and had uh, some crazy ass goggles on. And mm-hmm. he uh, starts to challenge them a little bit and then takes them off to reveal that he is invisible and drives them off and le- flees to the countryside. Yeah. Uh, we find out that Griffin is a chemist who discovered the secret to invisibility while content, uh, conducting a bunch of tests involving an obscure drug called monocaine. And he also has a love interest sort of in the film. There's a woman who's the, bo- the daughter of his boss that loves him and is struck with grief when he's missing. So that kind of spawned them to look for him. Uh, and then it goes on from there. He's kind of a vengeful guy. He, he is basically vengeful. wants to control people. Yeah. You know, and, it's funny. There it is again, right? It reminds me of that. There's that Frankel quote, like responsibility is as important as freedom. Yeah. I, I think that's what's important here is like, so once he's invisible, this is the way I read it anyway, he's able to get away with things like destroying the room. Like, why did he do that? Like, why is he making a mess? You know? And, you know, he's invisible. So really on some level, either subconsciously or consciously, he's not responsible for his actions. And think about what would happen to like a child over time if they were able to get away with anything and, you know, they were never responsible for the actions. They, they, they had no consequences. Eventually they come a monster. Right, like a Dorian Gray or, or something sure. else. It, one thing that stuck out to me was the scene where he's in his room and he's expecting people to return to the room, and he starts taking off all his clothes and he goes, "I'll really give them." He says something like, "I'll give them a show," and he, as he's t- like stripping naked, but like obviously he's he's kind of funny. That's yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. funny to think of all that because he's actually we understand that he's actually naked at that point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this was an interesting film. Just like if you think about this was 1933 and some of the effects that they were able to pull off. I mean, obviously, to today's standard, they're not great. But still, in 1933, that was kind of impressive to think about, like making a person invisible. He's taking off like his fake nose and his bandages. And there's nothing. There's just a shirt floating around in some scenes. It's, It's interesting. There's more depth to this one than I think the other ones, which I mean, obviously the other monsters are much more recognizable, much more beloved, but there's in this movie itself, there's like, I think there's just a lot more going on and it's kind of a little bit more interesting. I also think like being unseen is a, is a theme here. If we're kind of reaching for themes, sure. That's what anger is, right? Being misunderstood or not being seen. So definitely misunderstood. Yeah, definitely misunderstood. Yeah, you're right. Yep. He's not being seen. That's a that's a great point right there. Yeah. And he's and the point that you made earlier is there's a quote when he says, I meddled in things man must leave alone. So what's he talking about there? Like he's a scientist. He took it too far. And now look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of what we see is he can't return. Yeah, He, he can't come back. This woman loves him and he can't even like reciprocate that love because he's so far gone. You know what's it reminds me of? I don't know if you've ever seen this. I'm sure you have. But remember that Goosebumps episode where like the girl put on the mask and then like you she could take it off at first, yeah, but it got harder mask. and harder. Yeah. And then she, yeah. she wasn't able to take it off at all. Like that's that's a scary concept. Like he did this thing and now he's not able to undo it. And he's just stuck it, that way. The experiment became who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things that i had first off this is a stretch i'm gonna admit this is a Good. stretch. borderline okay i want to hear it <laughs> um in the relationships and like the way he creates chaos pushes people away like this woman's in love with him but he's like you know he's not able to like sustain that relationship it just like i said it's a stretch i it just kind of came up to me when i was thinking about kind of uh, like the it. film um just very like mood libel like like he's one minute he's kind of okay with even the people he doesn't like or he's kind of tormenting uh like the guy there's a guy that he like basically coerces into working with him and being his like his body pretty much while he while he's invisible um one minute he sounds like he's almost okay with him and the next minute he's like controlling and i don't know demanding and he's just very vengeful in moments it's just the instability with his relationships (laughs) felt very like very pertinent yeah, and like, and the weird thing at the end, just kind of being destructive like that. That's, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. No, that's like actually not bad. It's like he's having an, some sort of breakdown or episode. 
the other thing, addiction. I was going to say addiction too, because yeah. it's, it's the same kind of like message as science where it's like, don't mess with this stuff because it'll change you forever. Yeah. I mean, he's literally using a drug yeah. to create this invincibility and invisibility. And I mean, the invisibility gives him like this false sense of what, of like being untouchable, mm-hmm. being invincible. And like that, when people do drugs, sometimes that's the feeling they get. Really? And when that wears away, we're vulnerable again, right? So when and you, and you are vulnerable. different, you've literally changed your, you know, you've changed your reward system, but you've changed your body chemistry in a sense. Yeah. So there's that angle there. That I mean, we are, and and you lose relationships to people who love you. And I think that, like, I do think, even though that it almost feels somewhat like an afterthought, like the the woman who loved him. I know it's not an afterthought because it's present in the film, but like that's what happens. Like you, they, people who love you lose you, you know? And like, cause it's, it's not you anymore. So she was like kind of grief struck by his disappearance, AKA he's doing drugs all the time. He's secluded or he's just not himself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually good. I think we, I mean, that's more than people are going to get from that movie. I think (laughs) I could not stand the shrieking lady. I know everybody, I heard so many of you like reviews of this film where people like, thought that was hilarious that drove me bonkers i'm not so here's a little thing about me uh and anyone who knows me will know this i i watch the tv on a rather low volume i'm not super into like loud stuff and she was very loud i could not regulate the volume of my tv because of her like i had to keep turning it down when she was start shrieking oh yeah yeah i noticed that too actually didn't bother me as much but all right let's get into we have two more okay Hopefully people are enjoying this and we're not torturing everyone. Uh, but we got a couple of goodies for one, for people, I think, at least. Uh, the first one is the 1941, The Wolfman, starring Lon Chaney Jr., which you know I mentioned earlier, his dad being in some of the earliest ones. So that's kind of cool that they were able to keep a family legacy. That's actually really awesome. Yeah. It's cool. I totally dropped the ball and I forgot to write the sequels to The Wolfman. Um, there was an Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that is really all you need to know. <laughs> also, a Jack Nicholas remake of Wolfman, which yeah. is that with Michelle Pfeiffer, which is actually oh, and there's Benicio de Toro's Wolfman. Yeah, well. how did you like that one? It's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. No, but I'm more of a American werewolf in London kind of guy. Yeah. What? Yeah. What about the Paris one? Because I kind of like that one. That was trash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you. You no, so I, I will say this: the, there, there's two things that we could talk about here that's actually kind of fun. That is just coming to my mind now. The there's two specific transformations of a, a wolfman that I is stuck in my mind, and one is that one that you're talking about. That was intense, especially for like an early '80s movie, right? Oh, it's like, considered to be one of the best transformations ever created. On can I give you the best? Teen Wolf. Nope. Although that's up there. <laughs> The thriller video, Michael Jackson. Oh yeah, that's that's great. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. That yeah, that's that's great. But if you, it's all practical makeup. Which for people who aren't familiar with it, what that means, it's like it's there's no computer generated effects. It's all makeup and just like camera angles to make things look realistic. It's just so great. It is it's pretty. Gro- great. It's gross, but it's great. Yeah, it's um, pretty awesome. Quick overview of the Wolfman. Uh, the character played by Lon Chaney Jr. is called Larry Talbot. And he basically returns to, I think it's his hometown, uh, for a funeral, if I remember correctly. Uh, while he's there, he goes to like an antique store. He buys uh, a walking stick, and it's got a head of a wolf on it. The woman warns him that, like, not warns him, but tells him, oh, that that's a werewolf on there or something like that. So that's kind of like for, you know, for warning you what's going to happen. Uh, as he's walking home at night, he sees a woman being attacked by what he believes to be a wolf. And he then intervenes. He kills the beast with his new walking stick. Yeah. And uh, But in the process, he also is bitten on the chest. Uh, he's told by a fortune teller that the Get wolf... The honorable mention. Yeah. So he tells that the, the wolf, the, what he thought was a wolf, was actually her son. And who's played by Bella Lugosi. And... Um, that he is a wolf man and that anyone who's bitten by him will also become a wolf man. So this is some of the cooler lore. This is up there with like Dracula lore. 
as far yeah. as like, oh, so I I couldn't hear what you had said. You had said gypsy, honorable mention. I got uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, and you know it's funny when I think we might have mentioned it in the gypsy episode, did we not? I, don't I think know. that was one of the pop culture references. Yeah, they are into this kind of stuff. Werewolves, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And vampires and all that. So what did you... Uh, well, just to finish that off really quick, one of right. the last things I wanted to mention about the plot line is, so upon after that, he transforms into a wolf-like creature, stalks the village. He kills a local grave digger at one point. Um, and after the transformations, he does retain some memories of being a werewolf and wanting to kill. And he struggles with this whole condition that he's going through. So your, your question was going to be, what did I come up with? Yeah, I guess as far as like mental health. And I think I probably know. Yeah. So three, three themes, anger, mood swings and by, or bipolar. Mm -hmm. I think they all kind of represent the anger especially for me for this is like represented in that guilt that he experiences outside of it. So it's that idea that when people struggle with anger issues, often one of the biggest things that impacts them is how their angry actions impact their life afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it's that feeling of like, guilt that I just ruined this relationship. I just blew up at my job and now I got fired or I'm on probation or whatever. It's all the things that anger causes that impacts us later. That really is like the biggest issues with anger. Obviously, unless you're, if you're hurting people, that's a huge issue too, but um, the residual of the anger. And I think that they represent that pretty well with like the way that he, you know, remember has vague memories of, what do you, you know, being a werewolf and stuff like that. So kind of like that, you know, for people who have like really ang angry outbursts or any kind of like emotional dysregulation like that. That makes sense. For me, it's definitely bipolar. Well, actually it's two, there, there could be two things. So I, I like the bipolar idea just because he can sort of, or at least, at least maybe I'm just like tying in a little bit more like Wolfman lore, but you feel the change coming like, you know that it's going to happen and you know that you're going to be manic and you can try to take preventative measures, but there, but that might not always work. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting kind of part of it. So, you know, you, you kind of literally have this bipolar personality where like some of the time you're calm and almost like yourself. And some of the time you are completely out of control and it's not this. And while you're in the experiencing that it's, it's egocentric, which, you know, meaning We've talked about that before where it's like you're enjoying it. It's not like you're like, oh, my God, I'm the Wolfman right now. I hate it. No, you're just tearing it up. Yeah. Um, and another thing is dissociative identity disorder. It's like something like like we talked about with Billy Milligan, something crazy happening in your life. So just like huge external trauma that your personality, who you are right now, couldn't handle. So this new personality takes it over. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like a theme in there, I think. Sure. Absolutely. Fun character, though. This one is way more straightforward, I think, than oh, yeah, absolutely. most of them, especially the next one. Oh, yeah. This one I had a, a, a very interesting, like, uh, yeah, run us through this one. Okay. All right. So our final universal monster, the creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954. He is played by Ben Chapman. Um, just a couple of sequels, Revenge of the Creature in 1955 and The Creature Walks Among Us in 1956. I highly recommend you watch all three. They are great. And Clint Eastwood, a young Clint Eastwood, plays a scientist in Revenge of the Creature, I want to say. Wow. I want to say it's the second one. That's cool. It's pretty cool to see a young Clint Eastwood not playing like a cowboy, a cowboy. or yeah. something. Stunning, right? Good looking guy. Yeah, very good looking guy. Very yeah. good. Yep. Um, so just quick overview, there is a, a ge all right, so it starts off with a geology, uh, expedition uncovers a fossil that links land and sea animals. So they make a case to do another expedition to look for the remainder of the skeleton. Uh, during the expedition, the creature, uh, investigates a campsite, but when he, he is met by the campers, he, the uh, mere sight of him frightens them and he responds with rage and kills them. And this kind of like setup happens a few times throughout the film, ultimately to the end where he like kidnaps a lady that he falls in love with, I guess. And she bonks him on the head and then flees. 
Wait, so what do you, yeah, what do you, I'd love to know what you're thinking for this one. All right. So this one kind of had tones and like, I put down a few keywords and I don't know if these are the words or the, like, I don't know if they fit completely with my like thoughts about it, but like, these were the only things I could think of as far as words to describe it. Like colonization, gentrification, or like just minority in general. Kind okay, of being yeah. treated as othered. Um, we were going down the how, same road here. How, yeah, how we treat people who are different and the feelings that that causes inside of them. Like his, he's met, his, the response to seeing him invokes such a response from people that it causes him to feel terrible about himself. And then he immediately responds with rage. So yeah, I I am surprised we kind of ended up in the same direction here. Oh, okay. Wrote, the word I wrote down was xenophobia, and then sort of like profiling. Hey, so they, they Xenoph- have, xenophobia. That's a good one for it. They they attack him based on his appearance alone. I yeah. mean, really, that's what's happening here. And the gentrification thing. That's kind of like it feels like outsiders kind of like wealthier outsiders kind yeah. of investing in like in invading this land that's kind of like in their minds like it's like colonization right it's no, like, actually colonization is a part like imperialism colonization like this idea of like where you know i'm thinking of like you know explorers and settlers like coming to different you know, ports and and all like maybe they they they're like oh we have to show them our religion we have to show them how to be civilized we have to show them our ways because somehow we automatically feel like our ways are better than their ways and no we're gonna push them down their throat and once again we're gonna be looking at some narcissistic type behavior yeah every it, single it, we there's always this like idea that oh this land's unexplored but guess what it's a home to somebody. Right? Yeah. And it's the home to the creature and they come into his land and then treat him like he's a beast. Mm-hmm. Not fair. Like King Kong ish. Right. Yeah. Kind of. He, he also is a sympathetic creature. Uh, he is a character in my eyes. So the only, I would say like the only one that's kind of with a question mark on a monster is the invisible man. Is he a monster? I think he's a monster. He is to me. He had the most villainous personality out of all of them. No, the mummy as well, actually. I think yeah. I, I think uh, Boris Karloff's character in that is definitely a villain. See, I think Dracula is the most villainous. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's just pure, kind of pure evil, right? He does not care about anybody. He's so vain, he couldn't care. <laughs> yeah. He could care less. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, hey, listen, or you could watch all these, or you could just watch the... The 80s classic Monster Squad. Yeah. Or you could just listen to this podcast. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Skip it all and do no, that. No, you should watch all of these. There's a lot of films here. I, I was actually like, as I was making the list of all the sequels, I was like, wow, I watched so many movies just in this realm. Now, let me ask you this. Um, because I got to be honest. These, they're not good. I mean, some of them are just not good. I mean, look. Is it so, you know, is it is this like sacrilegious or something or blasphemous for me to say I'd rather watch the Keanu, Gary Oldman, 1990? Yeah, but you're you're comparing apples and oranges. You can't I know, compare I guess, a movie made in I, I know what you're saying. to it's, a movie made in 1990. But are you, so you're watching this and you're saying like, I appreciate this. I as literally to, enjoyed. Oh, okay. No, I enjoyed Creature from the Black Lagoon and the sequels. I literally enjoyed. The mummy kind of drawn out in some parts, but I overall enjoyed it. Like I actually like a lot of these movies. Frankenstein's tough. You know, the thing with Frankenstein is like, it's because when you tell people to watch it for the first time, there's an idea of Frankenstein versus what the actual film is. Yeah. And I think that's what hinders people when they're watching it. Cause they assume it's going to be something else, maybe a little more action packed. Yeah. Um, or just, I don't know. It's it's a 1931 film. I don't know what to say. I know. I know. What do you What do you want? It's just um, they're tough. I don't know. And it's funny how like people's sensibilities have changed so much. And I wonder what that means about our psyche. But like these things that people are they're taking these images in with their with their minds, and they're like, oh my god, this is not this is wild. Like I'm and 
people were freaked out by these movies. And now it's like the things that we can accept into our minds, like the things. So like you're watching Frankenstein, but it's like, that's still a guy. Yeah. And you, you know that, right? But the movies you see now, it's like, that is nothing that should be real. And I wonder what that's doing to our brains. It can't be good. A little kid went to, saw Frankenstein and found it so terrifying that maybe he left the theater thinking that Frankenstein was going to come around the corner and would squeeze him. Yeah. I went to go see Urban Legends as a kid. And when I got into the car, had to look behind me to make sure that no one was in the back of my car and wasn't going to strangle me to death. Like, that's the different experience that we had versus a kid back then. It's like, it's just a different. And now, nowadays, like the stuff that, like saw and all this stuff, seeing this craziness. And I mean, just the, the way you can look, make creatures look, I mean, there's, that's wild. So it's awesome. It's evolution in some ways. And that's like evolution. I can appreciate when we can create these really cool looking things. Yeah. It's great. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, like we talked about a lot of the sequels. There's obviously been a ton of like, recreations and reimaginations of all these films these films if for nothing else greg if you if maybe if they didn't connect with you what they've spawned is insane yeah the amount of stories and spin-offs and ideas that have just been regurgitated from just these characters we just discussed is crazy. I know. It's almost like they're every, you can trace them all back to these characters. And see, even you don't have to go do much work with Dracula and see like, you know, True Blood and, you know, Twilight and every incarnation of vampires you can imagine. That's just always going to be a thing. Every yeah. year there's a vampire movie. Yeah. And they're, you know, and I'm on board for it. So, yeah. Do you, is- do you think Bram Stoker's Dracula? would have like obviously the novel existed before the the film and you know it was its own entity but do you think the character of dracula could have ever have been so popular without the 1931 film of dracula absolutely not because even when you're watching you know the stereotypical vampire looks like that and when you're watching like i remember watching a vampire movie like in the 80s or or when you look for a vampire costume right now that's what you're getting like you're getting the cape and sort of like the the yeah. teeth air pushed back. Like you're not getting um, Edward from Twilight. It's that's right. just not a vampire. Yeah, and I think that's been like a newer thing is to bring that like maybe the the dra- that kind of dra- like Bram Stoker's Dracula into the forefront like yeah. nowadays. But for ages, it's been that like that Dracula character that we know from the film. Which is making me be like, maybe you're right. Like, maybe I'm, um, you know, I, I I want the the old fashioned. I want the old thing. I don't want this all these new vampires. I want the original. I yeah, appreciate. I'm with, you. I'm with you. I love it. It's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, hey, that was awesome. This went way better than I thought it was going to go. So <laughs> there's that. Um, you know, this was something, Greg. I I kind of shared this with you a while ago but like i've tried been trying to put a lot of these thoughts together about these characters for quite a while but it was nice to have someone to bounce these ideas off and also kind of open my eyes to some some different ideas because that's the thing when we get caught up in just our own when we only have our own perspective it's sometimes it's hard to know what you know what else there could be so it's nice to have somebody else to kind of bounce these ideas off of and I give you so much credit for watching these films in a rather short time. So it was good job. Good job, man. It was an undertaking, but yeah, no, you know, I'm glad I did. I don't regret it. No regrets. So uh, happy to do it. And honestly, you know, I'm glad that this is going to be out there too, because I think a lot of this, unlike a a lot of our podcasts, this is a very organic sort of episode. So it was, it was a good topic. This had me, feeling the way i felt when we did the scream three episode yeah and it just it like good. it doesn't it feels less pressure effortless effortless it's just straight off the dome piece yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're halfway through the month mm. got a couple more weeks left of october 
couple more topics that will fit into this month. And then we'll be moving on. Yeah. It'll be sad. Oh. But this is it. We're in it right now. We are in it. And it's great. Yeah. We keep we keep rocking here. We Let's keep do rocking. it. So we'll be back next week. But as we always say, if you like what you hear or if you have suggestions or just want to like give some feedback, we love to hear it. Hit us up on social media. But more importantly, let us know what you think in the form of a rating and review. So we know that we're on the right track if you guys are connecting to what you're hearing. So Apple Podcasts is definitely one of the best ways to do that. Um, their format allows for the rating and review, which others don't. So if you could be so kind, we'd love to hear what, if, what you're thinking. And again, if you guys have topics, throw them our way. We definitely love user uh, suggestions, user listener suggestions. Where did I get that from? I don't know. Maybe uh, your app or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely hit us up with those and we'll definitely put them in our, in our agenda. Thank you, everybody. Have a pleasant evening and spooky dreams. Yeah. Good night. Good night. I mean, just for now. Yeah, just for now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>